The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. After his baptism, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, One does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, To you I will give their glory and all this authority, for it has been given over to me, and I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, I will all, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to protect you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. The Gospel of the Lord. I pray that God's word be spoken and God's word heard. Amen. Amen. So this isn't my sermon yet. So don't start your watches. How many of you um, help us at the cathedral with our money lunch program by buying food or preparing it or coming and serving? Please stand up. So thank you. Thank you very much. Um, I said at eight o'clock, I feel like now I can go home. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to come and thank you. So um, I really appreciate it. Your partnership is important and we couldn't do it without you. And I was startled to see on the plaque that we gave you a while ago that this spring will be the 30th anniversary of that program. We've been feeding people together for 30 years. Time flies when you're having fun. When the devil had finished every test, can start your watches now. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. When exactly would that be, this opportune time? When is a good time for Satan to return to tempt Jesus? I think I know. I think the opportune time has to do with this common element that I teased out of these three apparently random temptations. It's something common to them and something common to us, I think, in our lives. So I'm going to interrupt myself by saying I'm about to do something I've never done in a sermon before. I 
I really do not like jokes or cute stories in sermons. Um, I feel like church should be different than the Toastmasters. And the gospel is urgent. It's not entertaining. It should be life-changing, not heartwarming. And I know you're thinking, well, Jesus told stories. He's told parables. But they were perplexing and they were disconcerting. They weren't cute at all. But I know this cute story that I couldn't get out of my head as I was working on this sermon. It's perfect. Um, And I kept trying to not tell it, and it's just too good. So I'm just going to tell it. I'll get it over with, um, and I'll I'll go on from there. So there's a guy hiking along a mountain road path, and he sees a pretty flower near the edge, near a cliff that drops down into a valley below. So he goes over to get a closer look at the flower, and he bends down, and as he does, he stumbles and pitches forward. And he's slipping, and then he's sliding, and he slides off the edge of the cliff. And as he goes over the rim and starts to fall, he reaches his hands up and he grabs a root sticking out of the cliff wall about three feet below the rim. So he's hanging there from this root. He can't get a purchase with his feet, so he's just hanging there. And kind of in desperation, he calls out, help, help. And of course, he was alone. He knew he was alone. There was no one anywhere near him. So, this is a guy who's never been very religious in his life, but he begins to pray. And he says, God, please help me. Somehow, please help me, God. And then, astonishingly and miraculously, here's a voice. Here's his name being called. John. John, it's God. I heard your prayers. He can't believe it. He's so grateful. And the voice continues, John, I've heard your prayers, and I'll help you. You just need to trust me, and I'll save you. Trust me. Okay, says John, I'll trust you. So then the voice says, good. Let go of the root. Just let go of the root. So he's hanging there, taking this in, trying to ponder this. After a while, he calls out, Is there anybody else up there? (laughs) So, letting go is not easy. We like to be in control, and we need to be in control, really. And I would say that's what's the common element in these three temptations that Jesus faced. All the temptations are ways that he can be in control. He can be the initiator. He can control things. Gives him power. So he's hungry. Rather than trusting God to feed him the way God fed the people of Israel in the wilderness, the temptation is to use his own power to make bread and feed himself. He has this feeling that he's sent by God to transform the world, to change the world, to transform humanity. And he has this temptation. Well, one way to do that is to become the rule of the world, like Alexander had been 350 years before him. And then, of course, he could change the world. Or prove that you are the one sent by God by forcing God's hand, making God save you from a dramatic gesture. Really, a suicide attempt. If God saves you, then you know. And, of course, that's Jesus forcing God's hand. In all these instances, Jesus is the one who's in control. 
He's the one at the center of things. I think all of us like to be in control, like to be in charge. As we enter this season of Lent, I was really struck. It never occurred to me until I was thinking about this sermon. Lent is a season where we try to draw closer to God. But it's also the season, famously, of self-improvement. What are we going to give up for Lent? What are we going to take on for Lent? It's our attempts to make ourselves more spiritual or thinner or in better health. We're more connected to the Bible. We're doing this. There are times, of course, when we can't be in control, but we don't like it. I'll never forget about actually two or three years after I started at the cathedral, I separated from my wife. I'm divorced and happily remarried. But I'll never forget that first couple of weeks. I moved out of our home. I lived in the guest room of friends of mine. And I would call my son. He was in high school every night and talk to him. And, and I did everything I could to stay connected. I would see him on the weekends. But I felt so helpless. I was the cause of his pain. And I couldn't do enough to protect him. And so I would talk to him at night and then I would hang up. And I remember sitting in this kind of stuffed chair in the little guest bedroom where I was. And just all I could do was pray. And it, it really, I got to confess, it wasn't enough. It didn't feel like enough. But that was all I could do. And maybe after about a week of this, it suddenly occurred to me that God loved Josh as much as I did. And if that were true, then God would do things to support and protect him, even though I couldn't. And that was really reassuring to me. But I still wish I could do more. I wanted to be in control. I remember another time that I felt a little out of control, not nearly as dramatic or as painful as that. I think the first year I was a priest, I went with my wife then into the Pine Street Inn in Boston on Thanksgiving. I thought, what a great way to sort of offer thanks by helping people that don't have as much as I do. So we showed up ready to serve. And I had this great image of myself standing behind the counter and being completely friendly and welcoming to these poor homeless people and giving them, you know, a, a roll or putting beans on their plate or something. And I, we arrived there and they said to me, well, we have enough service. Why don't you go upstairs to where the men are waiting in the dormitory and talk to them? This was not at all what I had in mind. But I, what was I going to do? So I went up there and it was a big room about, I don't know, bigger than this. And cots, just countless cots. And each cot there was somebody sitting. And I didn't know these people. It was completely overwhelming and intimidating to me. And I went and sat down next to somebody and started talking to him, asked him questions about his life, listened. And I felt utterly pathetic. Like, I felt like I'm sure this guy just wishes I'd leave him alone. You know, he's here to get food, not to be pestered by somebody like me. Well, I've since learned from my friends at the cathedral who are member of my community and actually among the leaders, people who are homeless, that actually what I did was probably more important to that man than giving him a meal. There's always ways people who are hungry can be fed food, but they very seldom have anyone show any interest in them or in their lives or listen to them. 
So, but that occasion was really one where I really wished I wanted to be in control. And I was put in a position where I wasn't in control. And it was very uncomfortable. But it's also in those places where we're not in control, I think, when we're most open to be changed. Because when you're in control, why would you change? Everything is working. But when you're not in control, that's, I think, when God can break into your life in new ways. We've changed the, thir- the meal program at the cathedral on Monday lunch. It's much less structured than it used to be. It used to be very much like my fantasy of what I wanted to do at the Pine Street Inn. There were there are good people, people like you, that would come and be incredibly gracious and welcoming to the guests. But there was a clear sense of we're serving you. We have things you don't. Our faith is that we should share them with you. But about three years ago, under the leadership of Tina Rathbone, who's quite an extraordinary priest, she imagined that actually what Mondays would be is a room filled with people, all of whom had gifts and things to share, and all of whom had needs. And that ideally, some of the needs would be met, and some of the gifts would be shared. And it's proceeded to work in that way. It's a little more chaotic. It's a little bit less controlled, and I think it's a little rough around the edges. But it's a fundamental difference in how we imagine Mondays. There used to be a kind of very modest Eucharist afterwards upstairs in the church. Four or five people would go upstairs and share communion. And Tina said to me, can, can we bring it downstairs? Is it okay to worship in Sprout Hall? I said, sure. And she said, would you mind if guests preached? I said, no, I wouldn't mind. <laughs> go for it. So now, I, when I go, I don't. Monday is my day off, decreed by my bishop, and as priests all know, we love and obey our bishop, always. But in the summer, our offices are closed on Friday, so everyone has that day off. So in the summers, I've gotten to go on Monday. And that worship service is extraordinary. I've heard sermons there that were life-changing to me, from people that I had no idea, their stories or their theological insights. There are about 35 people who come now. It's completely different. We don't like to give up control, though. But often it's illusory. My spiritual director once noted to me, a lot of us live our lives the way, you may remember if you're old enough, the pathetic little car seats before they were safety conscious. They were just a way to sort of keep kids occupied. And the little plastic thing would have a steering wheel in it. And the kid could drive while you were driving. And man, you get really intense on turning that little wheel. Of course, it means nothing. You're not driving. But that's how often we are in our lives, I think, really intent on doing everything just right. But often we're not in charge. When was the time, the opportune time for Satan to come back? I think in Gethsemane. Jesus is saying basically in that same position of that guy hanging on the roof. Is there anybody else up there? Is there any other way that this can happen? Do I have to do this? Do I have to completely let go and trust you? Please, is there any other way? Anyone who's ever been to Israel or Jerusalem knows that actually it's easy for him to have gotten out of there. 
The Garden of Gethsemane is about a quarter of a mile from the walls of Jerusalem, just over a little shallow valley. He would have seen the people coming for him to arrest him. They would have had torches in the night. And just up over the backside of the hill where Gethsemane is in the bottom is the Judean wilderness. It would have been so easy for him to think about gathering the disciples and saying, let's go. Let's escape. We've got this great ministry of teaching and healing. Let's keep this going. But he didn't. He didn't. He relinquished his control completely and trusted God completely. And of course, that's how he transformed the world. Alexander the Great made an impact. There's no doubt about that. Maybe the greatest ruler that ever lived. But we're here because of someone that gave up control. Not because of some great ruler thousands of years ago. So as we move into land and think about our lives and think about our relationship to God, think about how we are changed, I encourage us all to think about It's certainly uncomfortable to relinquish and to let go of control. But that's the way we're changed. In fact, what we say is, that's the way we're saved. Amen.